0: It's not what I
1: It's episode 10 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garczynski, and with me today is Ryan Topp, and we welcome back J.P. Breen. The Brewers were officially eliminated from the playoffs after losing to the St. Louis Cardinals on Saturday afternoon, so we'll spend most of the pod today reflecting on this surprising and fun season. Uh, just a reminder that we want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at tailgate, Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. You can also follow Ryan, JP, and myself on Twitter, and you'll find that on our Twitter bio. You can find Milwaukee's Tailgate on Disciples of Euchre, so check out disciplesofeuchre.com for great brewers' content. And Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre-3 and the MixPre-6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. So we were holding out hope that the Brewers could make a run in the final series of the season, but the long odds and the tired bullpen eventually caught up with the team, and they were eliminated after a 7-6 loss to the St. Louis Cardinals. It was heartbreaking since the Brewers led 6-0 in the third inning before things slowly fell apart. So I guess we're kind of at the reflection point of... uh, the season since it's over, even though we currently do have the final game on against St. Louis, but um, JP coming into the season, did you have any idea that the Brewers would be competitive going into the last weekend of the season? Was there a scenario that you saw that happening?
0: Uh, no, uh, I think I had them pegged at 74, 75 wins. So I didn't even have them finishing at 500, much less, you know, 85, 86 wins, depending on what happens here in the last few innings. But I honestly think that if anybody says that they believe that the Brewers had a chance to compete for the NL Central or for a National League wildcard berth, they're either delusional, they were either delusional and didn't necessarily have realistic expectations or a way to justify it, uh, or they're lying to you so they can look intelligent afterwards. I think, I understand that baseball is one of these sports that is so much more difficult to predict then I think a lot of other sports that we, that we look at, especially just random development seems to happen in baseball. Um, but there were just so many things that had to happen for the Brewers to be able to even do this this year. There were so many players that needed to t- take steps forward and they were able to do it at the exact same time. And, you know, nobody had a right to, to predict any of that sort of stuff. So no, I, it was a great season and I enjoyed the fact that we were paying attention to the team until, you know, what is it? October 1st, right? I mean, till the end of the very, very end of September, we were going through and keeping track of the team and wins mattered and losses mattered. Not much you can expect other than that. I mean, that's what we're hoping for every year.
1: Now, Ryan, you were down on the team as well coming into the season. I, I think, think I you were at
0: like 71. Yeah.
1: You were a low seventies team. So this is well past expectations. I mean, in hindsight, do you see how this happened? Like, does it make sense to you or do you just think it's a complete outlier um, considering what you thought of the team coming into the season? I think if you look at how it happened, I think that
2: it's hard to say anything other than this was a complete surprise. Uh, If you look at the top seven players on the Brewers team for uh, baseball reference war, you're looking at Travis Shaw, Chase Anderson, Corey Knable, uh, Zach Davies, Jimmy Nelson, Domingo Santana and Manny Pena. That's the top seven. And if you had said before the season that those guys were going to be the top seven and that they were going to drive a team that would win in the mid '80s for wins, I would have said that's insane. Like that, I could see those guys having been, you know, the best players on the team. That that in and of itself isn't shocking. But that those guys were the best players on the team. And produced at the level they were, and that the team contended, that came out of relatively nowhere. I mean, if you said before the season that uh, Jonathan VR would be, you know, very very bad, he would he would take a massive step back and would be a problem.
1: Like they they weren't even playing him at the end of the season. Right. They kind of did the the experiment with VR as an outfielder, and when he showed he really wasn't that guy, since he hadn't gotten much work there. I mean, he he wasn't playing the last couple of weeks at all.
2: Yeah, and if you'd said that things like you know, for instance, Eric Sogard was going to end up playing a bunch for your team, that that would have that that would be a thing that would happen. You wouldn't think you know Eric Sogard, you know, ninth on the team in in Baseball Reference War, that wouldn't have been before the season what you'd think is a recipe for success. So it does seem like it kind of in a lot of ways, came out of nowhere. I mean, there were things that happened sort of as expected. You know, you had Orlando Arcia take a step forward as a player and establish himself as a very legitimate big league shortstop and a good young player in baseball. That's not shocking. And Josh Hader coming up and being what he was, uh, Thames being pretty decent. But all in all, they got such contributions. They had breakouts from players that, People hoped would take steps forward, but you didn't necessarily expect it. The idea that Jimmy Nelson and, and Chase Anderson would essentially become a fantastic one, two punch, um, you know, legitimate top of the rotation group. That really that came relatively out of nowhere.
1: I, I mean, I was surprised after Anderson went down with his hamstring. What Was it in June or so that he came back and he was really good when he came back. Part of me felt like, OK, that was this his oblique. Where- was it oblique? Okay. It was his oblique. I can't keep track of all the injuries that the Brewers have had to deal with this year. Um, so, yeah, I was I was surprised with the guy who all of a sudden was, you know, pitching like a top of the rotation guy. I thought after coming back from an injury that, you know, we might see a bit of regression there. Um, and it didn't happen. He kept it up. So
0: I, I wanted to point out something that I think is, a, is notable, especially when projecting the season, you know, back in March or whenever it was. And... You know, not only is Ryan talking about guys like Manny Pena, who I myself didn't even see being the best catcher on the team. You know, you're still looking at Andrew Susak as potentially being the catcher everybody wanted to look at or Jet Bandy. So the fact that Manny Pena is not only one of the best players on the team in terms of wins above replacement, but the fact that he just became a good player in general was surprising. But the team, the people that folks were projecting to take steps forward, you know, your Willie Peralta is that everybody was excited about. Your Aaron M. Perez is that everybody was excited about. Whether it was John, uh, Jonathan VR, whether it was the fact that, you know, eventually Lewis Brinson would be the guy who would come up and take center field and push us to being a better offensive club. All of those things didn't happen. And so the, the places that people were looking for breakouts didn't happen. And then the ones that people weren't necessarily looking for. Uh, and whether or not you can actually look back and, and say that maybe we should have been. Uh, I think we probably should have been
2: looking a little bit more at like Domingo Santana than yeah, it, we, than we maybe like,
0: were.
1: It's not like they didn't get young younger players to break out. Yeah, I mean, it was Santana's, right. this yeah. is
2: age 24 season. So we should have had that as a little bit more, I think, on our radar.
0: But it was hard yeah, but to I mean, expect like, it. Santana doesn't, for for myself, like still Santana is difficult because he he has a profile as a hitter that I don't really care for. Um, But like much like Chris Davis in a way he he's able to produce with it. And Santana is able to produce with it a little bit more in a well-rounded way than Chris Davis was able to. But like, you know, Jimmy Nelson taking a step forward, that's something that we've been talking about for two or three years and so the fact that it finally happened isn't, you know, outside the realm of possibility or a huge shock or anything like that. Well,
1: with where Nelson was at, if he would have just gotten up to a number three starter, I think we would have been happy. Like oh, totally. he had a, an extreme breakout.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think that that's, that's what's most surprising about the year. It It's not that just certain people took steps forward. Like, every, like Chase Anderson was actually really good in the second half last year as well. You know, mm. everybody wanted to look at Peralta, but Anderson had quite... A, a similar type of second half breakout, I guess you could say, but the fact that all of these people took steps forward and they were extreme steps forward, like right? Travis Shaw, like, tra- like Travis Shaw, Chase Anderson, Corey Kniebel, uh, uh Jimmy Nelson, like all of those people taking steps forward would have been fine. The fact that they all took steps forward at the exact same time was one thing, but that they all took extreme steps forward at the same time, it's just something that nobody could have predicted. Right. It it did very much come out of left field.
1: Well, yeah. so looking at, at next season, you know, if people want to expect something similar um, from this team, is there any worry that maybe we should expect uh, a decent amount of regression from some of those guys? I mean, because it was a huge step forward, and it's hard to maintain that when a lot of those guys didn't profile to play as well as they did this season.
2: Well, and that's sort of the Bill James plexiglass principle, which says, when teams take a big step forward or individuals take a big step forward, and there's often some luck and some randomness in that. If you don't like the word luck, there's some randomness to that. And so it's often you'll see that, you know, sort of swing back the other direction next year. I think that we're going to definitely see the plexiglass principle at work with this team in a number of ways next year. At the same time, I will say it's not impossible that they couldn't take a step forward, but if they do, it's going to be because they have uh, they have a, a good number of young players who can potentially push forward and continue to to grow and produce. You you know if you could see Orlando Arcia turning into a even more valuable player than he was, somebody like Brinson coming up, Phillips, um, Brandon Woodruff perhaps could be a. You know, a guy in line to to become a a legitimate middle of the rotation starter as soon as next year. We'll just have to see if that's how it works out. Or Josh Hader takes the step into the starting rotation. You could see those things happening. You could see these things potentially. Well, they may really need
1: a hater now since they don't have their fallback option. They may really need him. But one concern that I have from that. Did you miss all of that yesterday? I
2: did not see it, no. With Matt Garza? No, I did not. Oh no!
0: Apparently, with the way his contract works, there's oh, no yes. option for next season. No, I did see that. Yeah, so, I was okay. going to say he he knew about it because I made fun of him on Twitter. <laughs> no, I that I knew.
2: Yes, that so, that that was. Uh, yes, that that contract. The I, I saw something about if then
0: statements, and it was I like, have no
1: idea. I was trying to look through. I think COTS you know, baseball contracts to see what was in there. And I couldn't figure it out.
0: It's, it was something to the effect of if he made a certain number of appearances, then his option would have voided uh, something to the effect of, I think the theory behind it was if he made a certain amount of starts, he wanted an opportunity to not have that player option. So he could go back onto the free agent market, and potentially make more because if he started that many games, he a would have been healthy and B would have been effective enough to make that worthwhile in the first place. Sure. Uh seems to be the theory behind it, but I, yeah, I mean, that was news to me when it came out. Um, but I think in terms of, I think the plexiglass theory or the principle or whatever is a good, is a good thing to keep in mind, but I, there are two important things to keep in mind with the Brewers going in next year. Number one, just because a player is young does not mean that development is linear it doesn't mean that they will automatically get better next year. So people need to be careful when they're saying p- certain players are going to improve. And when you ask why, the answer is, well, the aging curve. Or, well, they're young and they're going to get more experience. That's, that's not actually a reason. And so we need to be careful with that, especially with people like Domingo Santana. We need to be careful with that for people like Josh Hader. Uh, that just another year of experience doesn't necessarily mean that somebody is going to progress going forward. And the other thing, a lot of these people who took steps forward in such a dramatic fashion might fall backwards. Uh, Chase Anderson's, you know, his his underlying numbers are not nearly as good as his ERA. I would say that he's done some things to potentially make him you know outperform that but I think his uh, his DRA is deserved runs average is a near four this year if not a little bit higher. and so th- the idea that he's suddenly become an ace if he becomes a number three starter next year people are going to get upset about it just because expectations becoming higher and all of those things most dangerous thing you can ever do is raise somebody's expectations. So when they come back down just a little bit, everybody's disappointed with it, but I will, I do think that Eric Thames has an opportunity to actually get better next year. Um, Just because if there's one thing that Thames has shown in Korea and in the U S is that he's somebody who makes adjustments and he's he's, thinking. Yeah, absolutely. He's always somebody who's grinding and he, Tom Hodricourt gave a, I, I believe it was him, did a nice interview with with Thames in which he was talking about just how much more of a grind it is in MLB versus Korea, but also that the Korean strike zone is lower, which is interesting given the fact that Thames early in the year could basically couldn't hit anything above his belt. And just thinking about how much time he was spending in Korea and how much he had geared his swing to a certain strike zone. And the fact that now he needs to break out of that, he needs to look for different pitches Uh, and seeing the adjustments that he's been able to make in September, you know, it could be random variation, could be luck, could be a lot of things, but given his past, given his profile and given the way that he approaches at bats, it's not unreasonable to, believe that he's somebody who is going to continue to, to to tinker. He is somebody who's going to continue to try to play with his swing and and his approach and his zone to try to improve. So there are a lot of things that are up in the air. I don't necessarily like the idea that the Brewers are going to get better next year just because they're young and it's another year. Um, they could actually conceivably be in a better position next year and be an 80-win team. Right.
1: So I was going to say going into next year, I think saying they're an 82 win team or something like that is probably going to be a popular pick.
0: Mhm. Well, yeah, I mean I, depending I, on I, what they do, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, okay, here there's hold on. There's something else too
2: that one of the things that's driven their having two surprising seasons in a row. I think it's fair to say that they they overperformed last year what a lot of people thought they were going to do and cuz a lot of people thought last year was going to be a you know, hundred loss season. Well, hold on.
1: I disagreed with you uh, last season. Looking at that team, I disagreed with you on that one.
0: I agree. I mean, I pe- I predicted them to be a seventy-two win team last yeah, year. Yeah, I was closer to the mid seventies last year, and you were trying well, to say they were still, like mid sixties. But they still ended up. We, I remember talking about, about that. Right, but you just you just wanted to, an excuse for them to sell.
1: Yeah. Well, and you also well, wanted were already doing. You that. also wanted to drive for like the number one pick or whatever. And that, sure. Sure. That was out the window pretty early. Right, because they were they were better than that.
2: But at any rate, the the point is is that over the last couple of years, what they've had is David Stearns has brought in a number of players and has put them into the gotten them into the uh, the lineup and into the rotation and into the bullpen in ways and has reaped the benefits of all these like low cost die rolls. You can look at it, you know, this year, Thames, Shaw, um, uh Broxton still hold over from last year at any rate there's less the roster is becoming more solidified and there's less space now I think to tinker at the edges of it than there was a year or two ago there's more you know you're not going to find they're not going to probably go out and try to find somebody to upgrade at third base they're not going to find go out and try to find somebody to upgrade at shortstop they're kind of getting into a position now where it's harder and harder to upgrade and this is the normal way things go the harder it, it gets harder and harder to win to go from to go from 70 to 75 is a lot easier than going from 85 to 90 just because you have to get players that are that much better and that much further above average and those players are that much more expensive or hard to find you know on the market so they're sort of at a position now where making those marginal improvements gets tougher where they they had the freedom before of all these roster spots and all this flexibility. Now the the trickier part starts where you're trying to upgrade a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here. And that gets, you know,
1: that's obviously a lot tougher. Well, I mean, you know, they have more of the, the, the core pieces of their team now. How much of is it, how much of it is a matter of, you know, getting that bullpen depth because they went about three deep, and then all of a sudden, that bullpen got pretty shaky. You know, they they, they were able to bring some other pieces in. You know, they they traded for Swarzak and stuff like that. But you know, th- there's still areas of the team where they have a lot of room for improvement. There are right. some
0: well, some places, right? But now you're getting into a position in which you don't have the freedom to to experiment with with people like Keon Broxton, with people like say Chase Anderson, with people that that. Are questions and whether or not they can make it and taking people who are obviously talented and giving them just an extended run to see what, I mean, it's what we did with Jonathan VR as well. Sure. Like, and, and, but, and those opportunities, especially on a team that could potentially be expected to compete and internally their expectation is they want to compete. Now. I don't think that they're going to have an opportunity to take those fringe players and try to give them runs. Um, so the the way of improving the roster becomes much more about uh, searching for impact right? right because you you now have a minor league system in which you have a lot of players that are coming up to the big leagues now as well so if you are looking for the bullpen depth maybe you don't need to go and get somebody you have your Taylor Williamses you have your you know e- even if you want to say you've got somebody like you know Wei Chung Wong or you've got somebody uh, like Corbin Burns, who maybe you want to move there or something like that. I don't know what what it could be, but you are. Uh, and I know that everybody wants uh, Burns to start, so I was just throwing out another name. And you are going to be looking for guys in free agency in the trade market that are going to be upgrades over that. You know, mid tier. You. You, you no longer need the the Carlos Torreses to be the rubber arm to come in and fill in a couple of innings. You need people to come in and be an eighth inning arm.
1: Well, what right. about, you know, like the, the outfield now, you'd like to say? We yeah. have a better idea of how everybody's going to function in the outfield. So instead of trying yeah. to run three guys out there as starters, you know, maybe you're getting Braun more days off, you're using Phillips in a more strategic way, you know, mm-hmm. Santana's in and out depending on what they need. How much, you know, can something like that help? I mean, they they can have more of a plan going into the season as opposed to, you know, a couple week weeks stretches where all of a sudden Hernan Perez is starting in left field. What do you think, Ryan? Um, yeah. I mean, I think that that's what they're going to
2: do. They're going to continue to, to use the roster flexibility. I think that's, a thing that Craig Council wants to do. That seems to be part of his MO and part of what Stearns wants to do. So I, I see those sorts of things continuing where they're going to try to, to continue to move guys in and out of the roster um, and in and out of the lineup on a, on a basis. So like looking at like the outfield next year. Yeah. I, if they don't bring Keon Broxon back, which I think is somewhat likely then yeah, you're looking at, I think, trying to get all of those guys at least 400 450 plate appearances between Braun, Phillips, Brinson and Santana. I think
1: that that would be the hope assuming health which you know you can't but whatever. The hope would be well, that you would get I, all I think of they're going to have to they're going to have to make sure like Braun's They can't plan for Ryan Braun in 162 games. No, he's probably going to miss an extended period of time, at least once sometime during the season. Brinson has had injury issues all through the minor leagues. I mean, I think they have a bunch of guys where they they need to kind of plan for how many many innings are we legitimately going to get, and that
0: would be a way to kind of address that. It would be, but at the same time, you also want to make sure that you're giving people enough playing time to be able to get in a rhythm and to be able to work out things. I'm not a, and ever you know people who have followed me on Twitter or read things like know this. Uh, We've got issues in which you don't want to platoon players too early. If all of a sudden you decide that Brett Phillips is only going to play against righties and somebody needs to then take a seat and whether that's Brinson, whether that's Santana, whoever it is who's going to take a seat against tough righties, like suddenly you're hampering development on, on them. It's the idea that you can't be expected to handle a right-handed pitcher in a tough spot. If you haven't seen a right-hander for three and a half weeks, right?
1: What's enough playing time? I mean, what's enough to say a guy's full time, or he's getting enough at bats?
0: I, I mean, I would say 400 plate appearances.
1: And you don't think four guys would be able to rotate 400
0: plate appearances? I, yeah, I do think that they probably I mean, could. I, yeah, I don't. But think you that. wouldn't. But you wouldn't be having it in a in a structured manner, if that makes sense, right? Right. Like you don't you, want to you,
2: limit people and and say Phillips, you're never seeing a lefty, or right. Brinson, like if, you're really only not you're not seeing many. Tough
0: right maybe you said maybe you look at somebody like brett phillips and you say you can handle all three outfield positions and you say at least once a week phillips you're going to play in left center and right field and you're going to give everybody else a day off and you just kind of pick it out between there sure great that's fantastic that's that's not a problem but getting too creative with things about matchups becomes really difficult i mean It's one of the big things that Thames also talked about in terms of being able to hit lefties is, you know, you don't you don't see a lefty for a month and a half. And then all of a sudden you come in and have to face, you know, Matt Moore in a game and you just say, well, best of luck, figure that out. And so you need to be able to structure these things for young people and young players. Not that, you know, Thames is young, but just as an example. Well, but he was clearly he was platooned. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, and I think part of that was they wanted to get Aguilar at bats
2: as well. I think that's the other thing is early in the season. He, these platoons didn't exist though. He wasn't platooning guys in such a rigid way. It was, it was, it was much more, I think, I don't want to say haphazard because that sounds like it's not being planned. And I think it was, but it was, it was much more open. Like he was, he was making moves here and there. And, but but isn't that how the season's going to go? Aren't
1: you going to kind of see what guys are doing? And as the season goes along, play to their strengths. hundred percent. And I think that's good. That's exactly what what it should be. That's what I want.
0: But then then you necessarily don't have a plan to say that Brett Phillips is going to play, you know, against righties for the first two months or something like that. I mean, he might actually just be a bench bat for a couple of months until you figure out where that's going to happen. And then Keon Broxton, who even knows what happens with him at this point, because with the way that things have been playing in in the outfield, do you necessarily? I think that Keon Broxton still has value, but are you really looking at Keon Broxton as somebody who can bring back a legitimate piece at this point, other than maybe a middle reliever? Probably not. Maybe a an A ball arm. Is it worth
1: just trying to acquire a middle reliever for Keon Broxton? I mean, that's something that the Brewers are going to need. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean. I could see
2: them. Some teams saying, "Well, we'll give you our fifth starter for him." Yeah, but why would the Brewers want a fifth starter? Well, because fifth starters sometimes turn into better than that
0: if you get the yeah. right guy. Well, that's but that's if you if you hope. but if you're like we're acquiring a fifth starter who's got option years, so we're going to put him in you know double A or triple A for the year, and if you eventually need him, that's fine. Like that that's a that's fine. I guess we're just thinking about like when. You wouldn't be getting a, a fifth starter that you would be expecting to move into the big leagues right away. They've no, got not necessarily. Those people, right? Yeah. Hey, but I mean, hey, hey guys. I got guy like Chase
1: Anderson. Guys, speaking of pitchers, speaking of pitching, I want to I okay. move us along. Uh, are we going to be fooled by Zach Davies again next year? Or is this the last year where we freak out early and then you know
0: go, oh, wait, this guy can actually pitch in the major league? Uh, no, because he doesn't throw very hard, so a lot of people are going to get upset about it every time he, tr- he struggles.
1: Is is there something we can do to put out like do a PSA ahead of time so everybody understands like there's going to be a little bit of that volatility?
0: No, we tried. I tried it with Marco Estrada for several years, and everybody got mad at me about that. Uh, so I highly doubt for my own my own Twitter feed uh, in my mentions that anything regarding like people still absolutely hate Ryan Braun and, and want him gone the idea that somehow it's not gonna happen with Zach with Zach Davies who has even far less uh track record seems to be oh, I don't want to say naive Steve because that seems mean <laughs> I'm, but, f- I'm fine with that I don't know. so I mean I have I think, that, I think that Zach Davies' hate will happen because he doesn't throw hard. Same reason that everybody believed in Willie Peralta for so long, because he threw hard. When's,
2: when Zach Davies is off, it looks bad because
1: he's just getting hit Oh, it is. Yeah, hard. no, he, he can't
0: be off. Right. You know, he's got to
1: have that command. Otherwise, Zach Davies is going to struggle because he just doesn't have the raw stuff. But Zach but... Davies
0: doesn't even need to have command of all of his pitches. He needs to have command of a pitch that he can work off of, sure. right? yeah and and i think that that's important because everyone says he needs to have fastball command and that's not true he needs to be able to have command of a pitch that he can then work off of because we've seen him work off of his curveball we've seen him work off his changeup and obviously when he's got more pitches working he's better but to be effective enough to be able to go through you know 5 or 6 innings and give up 3 runs which is still now in this environment is actually you know a league average starter again uh like he doesn't need to have his entire arsenal uh, working. So I still think Zach Davies is a solid mid-rotation starter. Um, I could go through and show ever since I had to tell everybody in late April that he was actually a good pitcher, uh, what his ERA was, but it's well under four, if not a low three ERA. So that's just something that is going to happen, I think, on a perennial basis.
1: Hey Ryan, uh Nick Thorne asks, uh, do you believe Brian Kenny's bullpenning will ever become a thing like the Brewers have done in September? Okay, like the
2: Brewers have done in September is different than what Brian Kenny's bullpenning is. Sure. Just a, a quick thing. Kenny's bullpenning thing is basically getting away from having uh starters who you're expecting to turn over the, the uh the roster or sorry, turn over the lineup like three times and basically getting to the point where you are expecting them to maybe get through once maybe into that second time and then you turn it over to somebody else and then somebody else and you're basically not ever letting guys see pitchers or you're rarely letting guys see pitchers more than once or if they're seeing them more than once it's maybe seeing them the second time anyway we saw some of that in september in selected spots in the rotation and out of necessity out of necessity and i do think that's the general direction the game's going i think we're if you look at it, your guys are seeing pitchers fewer and fewer times. Starting pitchers are pitching fewer and fewer innings. That's the general trend in the game. And I don't see that reversing. That's not going to you know, go yeah, away. I,
1: I hate to make it a fantasy baseball thing, but I noticed more and more of the pitchers that I'd have in my lineup, would, they'd go five innings. Right. You didn't have those guys who were eating seven, eight innings. And when you're looking for quality starts in fantasy baseball, it drives you crazy. So, Especially anyways. after having um, –
2: you know, the good pitchers are still going fairly deep, though not as deep as they once did either. But yeah, you're going to see starters pitching fewer and fewer innings and the bullpens being used more. And I think with more middle relief, the, you know, the Josh Hader, um, Andrew Miller, this sort of model, those guys are going to become more and more prevalent. I mean, um, what's his name in Houston? Davinsky? Yeah. I think, I mean, you're going to see more and more of this sort of thing where teams are doing that. I don't think you're going to see a pure bullpenning model for a long time, if ever. But I think you're going to see it trend more and more in that direction. And I think the Brewers are pretty comfortable with that uh, because I think that they are they're going to develop pitchers that are capable of handling some of those middle inning roles like that and, and being that guy who pitches
1: you know 50 pitches every 3 or 4 days. Sure. Hey, JP, do you think something like this would allow guys to like play up their stuff? You know, we always we always talk about relief pitchers, you know, a guy comes out for an inning and his stuff can play up. I mean, is this a way that you can get more guys to basically throw harder, throw a little bit better for a shorter period of time? Like, do you think that would work?
0: I I I don't. I think uh I think bullpenning works on paper. I think in practice, it it has a lot of problems unless your bullpen is fantastic. If you've got a lot of middle relievers like the Brewers, you've got issues.
1: Well, how much you, of it is to, volatility? I mean, you know, it seems like if you get if you like get a even, bad day, all of a sudden it blows up your bullpen, and then what are you going to do for multiple days after
0: that? Right, absolutely. And you can stay look at what happened on Saturday with the Brewers. Like, obviously, a lot of that was was bad luck. I mean, I I know that a lot of people want to make it a moral, you know, somebody choked or somebody <laughs> had a, or somebody's not good enough or whatever it is. But like so many of those were just bullshit hits that that fell or defensive miscues or somebody lost it in the sun or, or whatever bloop single was able to fall. Um, the fact is people are still relievers for a reason. People are still, you know, a a lot of the time relievers are relievers because they're failed starters, and that still hasn't gone away. Well, but how much of
1: this is taking guys as starters and molding them into this role, as opposed to trying to, like, retcon relievers into some kind of longer role?
0: I mean, you can. I I think that's fine. But you're still going to be in a situation in which you're then throwing relievers who, who throw 40, 50 pitches and then still need two or three days off like you're not going to be molding people to throw max effort for 40, 50 pitches and then pitch every, you know, every day or every other day. Uh, You might find like the occasional person for that, but unless rosters expand where you can carry more pitchers or unless your bullpen is just phenomenal. uh, I could see a scenario in which a team wanted to carry four starters and then they had some kind of piggyback system that they could do for the fifth. I could potentially see that happening. It's not, again, I think it keeps your margin for error in terms of the health of your bullpen, in terms of the long-term effectiveness of your bullpen. I think it makes those things very
2: difficult. Um,
0: But what teams
2: can do in those situations then, though, is they can shuffle their bullpens on a nearly continual basis, like so many teams are doing, including the Brewers did this year. I know they, and they, they, were and they still di- and they
0: still didn't have a good bullpen by the end of the year. By the end they, of the they year. Had they had a did. tired they had a tired bullpen at the end of the year. They had an exhausted bullpen where they were throwing Corey Knable for 3 3 days in a row where he was going multiple innings on his third day. And well, he
1: could clearly not handle that. Well, but
2: and that was that gets into the necessity part where they were because their backs were against the wall because they were kind of in a weird situation that created that necessity.
1: Well, I don't think it was weird. I, I think it was just
0: but then, so the obvious, like, the the correlate the, the corollary to that is that earlier in the year, then, instead of going to your best relievers, you would have more scenarios in which you're not as good pitchers would be going. And, like, that's not, like, no matter what you're doing in these bullpenning situations, you're getting pitchers who are worse more innings, more frequent innings, right? You're getting them more frequent innings, and you're hopefully getting them more innings more tailored to what their uh their skill set is right so if you have good relievers sure but then if you have good relievers you don't necessarily need to do it in the first place
2: that's yeah that is kind of the catch 22 is if you have this many if you have the the if you have as many good pitchers as you need to do it then you probably don't need to do it anyway
0: like it's it's one of the things that It's it's the whole idea of like, again, like, right, there's the the age curve and everyone's like people get better because the age curve shows that people improve till they're 27 and then they get worse. Uh, But it's the same thing. It's like not everybody gets better just because they move to a relief role. Not everything is going to get better because you think you can tailor a bullpen for nine innings so you can somehow mix and match somebody. So they face righties or lefties and then the next day have to figure it out again when your starter unexpectedly only goes three innings like unless the rosters expand so you can have more of more arms at your disposal, or maybe the brewers are able to do it where they can carry 13 pitchers all year because they've got the flexibility on the bench positionally or something like that. But again, it's going to still come down to the quality of the arms. And like it, I understand that the theory is if you bullpen arms, if used correctly, you can create more good bullpen arms than you can starters. And I don't think that that's actually a, something that holds up oh
2: you don't i think it does
0: right but the the, that's just based on the premise that anyone who's a failed starter can move to a bullpen and suddenly get better
2: well no but it's that there's only so many guys that have the combination of having the ability to throw you know two at least if not three effective pitches that they can locate to be a starter there's just Not that many of those guys compared to somebody who has one really nasty pitch that can, you know, he can he can face batters once and really, you know, be effective against them.
0: Right. But they would already be in a big league bullpen having success like this is like they the big leagues already need more relievers who are good. Like, there wouldn't suddenly become more relievers. Like, it's not like there's a bunch of relievers in AAA who could be really good big league relievers if only there were more bullpen opportunities. Right.
1: Well, I think part of it is, though, uh, there's this idea that you're going to take some fourth and fifth starters, and all of a sudden the stuff that they throw is going to be good enough. that Right.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's what I was saying. Like that's based on this presumption that anyone who isn't a very good starter can somehow become a really good reliever. Well, and or if that, that, was the case, that, and we've saw that with Peralta, you know, and I made that assumption as well and it was wrong.
2: Or that if you have those fourth or fifth starters that, you know, then there's a, a number of these guys who they're effective once through the order. And then the second time it gets shaky and after that you don't want any part of them. Well, a different system could potentially use them in a different way and minimize their need to pitch deeper so that you get the better part of them. So, are you going to you, are are the, you gonna the do the it. new
1: money ball here? Are you going to be a GM that acquires all the pitchers that can only pitch through an order once? I wrote about this in and then Disciples you're gonna, of Euchre like four years ago. Okay. So, okay. that's like, that's I wrote your a multi
2: part thing. I, I already did that. like years Wait, ago. wait, you did
1: a multi part article on relief pitchers? I'm sure on, that was no, fantastic. On, on, on how
2: to do the uh, the piggybacking bullpen or the piggybacking rotation thing. You right. read it and you did but, not like it. So,
0: But again, you're still then like, why would those be fourth and fifth starters who are already struggling past the first time through the order? Why are they even getting innings past the third inning? Why are they starters? Why wouldn't they be getting, why wouldn't they be doing something else? Because why wouldn't have, they be MLB relievers.
2: is short of those guys. MLB doesn't have those guys. MLB
0: so they MLB have to- is short. Uh, MLB is short of good arms. Like period.
1: Well, again, how many how many days would they need off before they can pitch again? And that's I mean, something you have. You know, to, we're yeah, we're just assuming that what they're they're gonna have to go every third day instead of every fifth to make this work. Yeah. Every fourth. I mean, if you were to that would pile up on you. You'd need you'd need at least a couple guys on the top of your rotation
0: then to be able to eat seven plus innings every time they go out. Right, and if you had somebody all of a sudden get hurt or short start and they only went two innings like your bullpen would then be screwed and then you'd need to go to triple a and completely turn over your bullpen which they're in your relievers would be in triple a for a reason like because they're not as good as your mlb relievers
1: rebuttal ryan no? Are you no, done? I'm Are you going to just give how, this up? I, I didn't know how long we were going to go with this, but no. I mean, hey, we have an entire off season now. We can talk teams. about whatever <laughs> we want. There's
2: nothing else going on. Teams <laughs> Teams will flip their and do run through their their minor leagues that way now. That's how it works. That's what teams right. are and doing. So they
0: call up people that aren't good. But like like yeah, I great. We we called up Michael Blazek. That didn't work,
2: but they're doing like, it anyway. The point is that if you can get guys to if you can minimize how much guys have to pitch,
1: if you basically if you're asking marginal starters, you're not minimizing how much they can pitch. You're probably trying to get them to pitch more innings, you're just trying to do it on a different schedule. You're trying to get them to do it on a different schedule. Well, slightly. I mean, basically what
2: the idea would be instead of asking them to go a hundred pitches or to you know to try to push that limit, um, Every fifth day, you would say every fourth day, we would like you to throw 70 to 80 pitches. Right. And
0: you'd just be doing that with one or two people. And then other people in your bullpen, you'd be asking them to do more. And then your guys who you've decided are not good enough and are down in the AAA bullpen need to then have to go and pitch more because they're going to be expected to have to come up and relieve guys that are tired in the big leagues. You're going to. What do you mean? No, <laughs> because
2: I did the math on it. Okay, hold on it a second. Hold on a second. You to actually, I did the math on this. Go, people can go look at the the old articles. Okay, there. wait.
1: Now, okay, I did the math on it. It does it. Bull Bullpenning's a a fun little mental exercise, but it's not going to work. So, uh, <laughs> Anthony Pollard asks, would you rather trade for a starting pitcher or uh, compete for a pitcher in free agency? What do you think, JP? What's the... What's the best route for the Brewers to maybe get a little bit more depth next season, especially since Matt Garza isn't just an automatic uh, slot into the rotation anymore?
0: I think th- the best scenario is still going to be to go out to the uh, to the trade market. I'm not necessarily sure who's going to be available at this point. There are guys that I'd like to see if they're available. Um, but if you go to the free agent market, you're going to be targeting Lance Lynn, uh,
1: do you not like Lance
0: Lynn? We were talking Lance about Lance Lynn. Lynn Lance Lynn Lans- last week, Lans- Lynn's fine, but you'd be wanting him to be a mid rotation starter. You're not going, and the Brewers. I mean, I need guess, a rotation starter. Do we
1: believe the Brewers are going to do better than fine if they go out and sign a free agent pitcher? No. I mean, but that's I think that kind they
0: could of- actually, I think they could go out and get somebody who is an above average arm in the trade market.
1: And, That's what I'm saying. Well, yeah. And who do you think they could, they could go after? I mean, Archer, Chris Archer in Tampa Bay seems to be a guy that people think is going to be a trade target. But I was looking well, at we, we were kind crazy. of chatting about it yesterday, yes. and we were looking yeah, at it, and Archer
0: signed through like 2021. Right, but he was, if the Rays weren't competing this year, they were already saying that he was going to potentially be on the market,
1: right? Sure, but I mean, we saw what, you know, Quintana, what Mm -hmm. that package was. Mm -hmm. We saw what Sonny Gray commanded. I would imagine Archer is going to be above both of those, considering his age and uh, the number of years of control that he has.
0: Absolutely, and the Brewers have a better system than both of the teams that traded for, well, maybe not the Yankees, but... You know what I mean? They've got the pieces to get it done, even if it is that high. So I'm gonna shock everybody and say, I would rather not trade prospects. I know, but you'd also if, rather not sign anybody who's old on the trade on the free agent market either. No, I'm actually. But if you could
1: bring a Chris Archer in and you'd have him for that number of years, if you had him for four seasons, you still wouldn't want to trade anybody. It would depend on what the package was. Even even if it was would. a high-end package, looking at what the Brewers did this season. Hoping that Jimmy Nelson comes back, you have Chase Anderson, you have Zach Davies. If they're they're
2: going to trade us Chris Archer, it's going to be Brinson and Woodruff and, you know, uh, at least one or two more good prospects. But, I mean, Archer's taking Woodruff's place. You do that in a
0: second. Yeah, Yeah. you do that in a second. If it's Brinson, if it's Brinson and Woodruff and, you know, somebody down in a a couple of guys down in A-ball, you do that in a heartbeat.
2: No,
1: I'm thinking, like, guys along the quality of, like, Isan Diaz and... I don't yeah. know, like well with Kestin Hira, I mean, yep. Are you that worried about keeping Nissan Diaz if that's the guy oh, that yeah. can get no, somebody done?
2: I would I would much rather not do that. No, I there's no so here's the deal. The Brewers looking at payroll locked in for next year, committed. Now this doesn't include arbitration and whatever, but committed payroll for next year, they have twenty five million. If you start looking at the arbitration numbers, it probably takes them up into the sixty ish million. There's so much room for that to grow, and it should grow, and that it's going to grow. I think, I think that it it really becomes, you know, logical. the the logical place to go is to the free agent market. I know because they just have the there. money.
0: There's no one there. I I'm
2: the Lance Lynn thing. I'm over that not being a good idea anymore. I'm I'm good with Lance Lynn. That's fine. But, but uh, Lance what said, Lynn or, or,
0: or improved much? Yeah.
2: No, what it well, it does improve them in that it gives them another starter who is, you know, a proven reliable starter to be who has had some injury issues, has had some injury issues, but it's not severe and it's not,
0: you know, he's not constantly hurt Um, the way that you value injuries. I never understand what it is. Like, because sometimes it's like with Sonny Gray, you were terrified about Sonny Gray because he has injury concerns, but that's because it was going to cost prospects and not money.
1: Well, and also Sonny Gray is, is that, like, but five, like five. I'm asking is five. Sunny Gray is also yeah because Sonny Gray is short, and you read an article about short pitchers. All of a sudden, like I you don't read an Sonny article Gray. about short pitchers. Yeah. Yes, it's
2: it's an article that, that that's was what it thing. was. Yes, um,
1: no, I. You're you're back on the 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 what 2011 draft when they had to draft uh pitchers six three or above and that
0: worked out really well yeah um but like lance lynn's gonna be 31 years old next year and he's gonna get at least a three or four year deal mm-hmm. like is that really what you're gonna be thinking is going to improve the the brewers to potentially be an nl central contender next well year? that's the thing
1: lance lynn's not going to help them pop up to a higher level than what they currently did this season um I think that for what they need,
2: they need a, some stability in the rotation. I don't think they necessarily need the
1: top-end guys. That's not... You do realize Jimmy Nelson has a pretty severe injury. Right. Okay, so that does not exist. It might He might come back next season, but that does not exist for the majority of 2018.
2: Yeah, no, my issue is not that they have... I think they have they have guys who have a lot of upside, and they have a number of guys that have quite a bit of upside for the rotation for next year. What they don't have is you look at the guys that they have, you have Anderson and Davies. And after that, you don't have anybody that's like a proven reliable big league starter guy that has just gone out and has given you innings and you know, is there. Do I think that Woodruff burns hater suitor Wilkerson uh i'm completely blanking but do i think that some of those guys are going to work out probably they probably will work out and as soon as next year yeah but do i think that it's like a sure bet no so what i would want to do is extend what they have and give themselves some more reliability in the middle
1: and then go from there so then you're just hoping for another guy like jimmy nelson to break out You'd rather not, do not that like you, Jimmy Nelson. You'd rather sit well, there and, Jimmy and hope, Nelson hopefully does come back next well, year. Well, hopefully he does. But even if he comes back, there's no guarantee that Nelson is the pitcher he was this season.
2: Right. But there's no guarantee that Chris Archer doesn't blow out his arm, too. So like. Yeah. Gonna, but
0: I mean, we could come up with bad scenarios for everyone. Right. Like, I just. I, But to, the thing is, there is nothing that's stopping you from being able to sign somebody like Jason Vargas on a one year deal to be able to get that stability that you want for 2 months until until Jimmy Nelson comes back and that doesn't preclude you from still getting what you need which is a top of the rotation starter.
2: I mean, I'm fine with I'm fine with doing that what you're talking about too. I think that that's the biggest need for the team is and wasn't that a question that we were asked? I thought it was. But for me the biggest need is just like reliable
1: innings.
0: But that's like always available. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, you well, doesn't even,
1: everybody you could, need reliable like, innings?
0: I was like, you could, well, yes, but if you needed somebody who could come in and pitch for, you know, be healthy and pitch for a month and a half, right? Like, I've got it up right now. You could get Jason Vargas, Chris Tillman. You could even get Hector Santiago for a month. You could do John Neese nice if he needed to. We come could bring in Marco Estrada back. Well, Marco Estrada signed a uh, an extension with. Oh, he um,
1: did. Okay. Chase.
0: Yeah. But you could get. Jaime Garcia, you could get Doug Fister. you could get Scott Feldman, like all of these people aren't that good, but for a month, like they could be as good as Lance Lynn if the purpose is to be able to get somebody who can eat innings for two months. Right. And I'm okay with any of that then. But that would be in tandem with getting somebody who's a top of the rotation guy.
2: Well, I think that the price that you have to pay to get true top of the rotation talent is prohibitive and I don't want to see them do that.
0: So then how does somebody like the Brewers ever get a top of the rotation starter,
2: develop them, trade for them before they're a top of the rotation starter.
1: I mean, I, okay. You have to remember, Ryan's a guy who thinks that the acquisition of Zach Greinke and Sean Markham was a mistake for the Brewers because of the talent they gave up.
2: Mm, Kind of.
1: Yeah, you do. Kind of. Yeah. You you hate the, you hate the (laughs) the Greinke and Markham trades. You hate the CC Sabathia trade. Anytime they've given up a lot of prospects for pitching, you you
0: loathe those trades. I generally do not like them. No. But the thing is, if you are expecting to compete, you cannot compete and try to become a player in the NL Central if your plan is to acquire people who aren't that good yet. I mean, you can't. You
2: sure can. It just doesn't if, happen if you, if It doesn't happen lucky, ne- It doesn't happen necessarily next year.
0: So then what's your plan for next year then?
2: Like I said, you're filling the gaps to you're so filling you, the gaps to make sure that you have the innings covered and that you have those. Guys you just give have a You have
1: complete faith that someone in the Brewers farm system is going to break out and be a top of the rotation pitcher. No. But that's kind of what you're doing by saying they can never go out and acquire a guy. You because give
2: yourself you give yourself as many chances to make that happen as possible. Hence, and then, you, you believe one. I'm not saying you have to like put your money down on one single guy. But, but that's you believe. what getting Chris Archer involves: is taking a ton of prospects, packaging them all together, and handing them over and saying, "Here, we're putting all our money down on this one guy staying healthy." That's literally what that is.
0: There is something different between betting on Chris Archer to be a top of the rotation pitcher than it is. To- to be packaging somebody than to say, I believe that Brandon Woodruff, Luis Ortiz, Corbin Burns, and Freddie Peralta have an equal chance of becoming a top rotation pitcher. One of those four as Chris, Ar- Chris, Archer, who's already done it.
2: Right. But I'm not saying that they do have an equal chance. I'm part of what I'm resisting here. Hold on. Part of what I'm we resisting here. We are both here. tearing out
1: our hair right now. With no, the I know. You're just like I know. talking in circles.
2: Well, you guys hold on. no, Part of the issue is that you guys are saying that like we need to make something happen for 2018 and I don't believe that's the case.
0: Well, I think always, we're both but you're saying that it's going to be getting into a situation in which you're trying to paper over the cracks for some future that could be better than what we already have.
2: I don't think that they should be pushing for maximum contention ability like right now. That's, but again,
0: we were bringing up. I, Archer I think, that, because I think that's because they Archer, had a year.
2: They had a year that moved the. That moved Chris Archer the,
0: is not for 2018. Yeah,
1: we just said Archer. Owned. Archer's clearly a guy for the next, you know, like four seasons.
2: If he stays healthy. If it's Well, that's every out.
0: damn pitcher that exists that in Major League Baseball.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because guys do get hurt. That's why I do not want to see taking talent at this point. You take a bunch of players and package them together to get one player that you are then banking okay, on. Okay, I, I, I'm going to stop it right
1: here because I, I'm I'm pretty sure at this point that JP is going to punch you through the internet. <laughs> so we are going to move on. <laughs> okay, so the playoffs are set. Um, real quick, because we're not going to sit here every week and talk about what's going on in the playoffs as we move forward, but. Uh, Right now, who do you think out of the uh, AL and NL, who, who's your uh, World Series matchup? Um,
2: probably the the Cubs and the Indians. You at think this, it's po- okay? You think point, it's going to be a rematch again? Those are the teams that have been playing the I mean, best. Is down, that just some recency bias because you saw it probably, last year? It is probably. Well, no, no, no. It's not last year. It's like. Those teams have played the best in the it second is, half. It
1: is the most recent World Series, so it like, would be recent. Supplies. Like the Dodgers,
2: the Dodgers have had a bad September, which maybe doesn't matter, maybe does. I, I'm not sure that they were necessarily like the most purely talented team anyway for a short series. I think I they mean were maybe the most talented. The, team, the Dodgers are 62.
1: The Dodgers are seven and three in their last ten. Sure, but I I think the Cubs. And I mean, it's not that losing streak that they had been on. Well, and the Nationals and that have was, been hurt, so. and that was really August. Well, yeah, and the Nationals have Scherzer going down now with a, a hamstring. Okay, I sure. mean, I picking the Indians out of the AL is not like going out on a limb, so I'm not gonna no, but it could very, I mean, like Houston could get into a matchup with them and
2: just beat their brains in because their lineup is you know the greatest, so it that could easily happen too. Um, Or, you know, the Red Sox have an interesting mix of talent as well that they could any one of these teams. There's so many good teams. But yeah, I mean, if I had to bet right now, unfortunately, I think I would pick the Cubs.
1: They've been very, very good since the All-Star break. And JP, are you going to break everybody's hearts and say the Cubs as well for the NL?
0: No, I'll say the Dodgers and the Astros.
1: Dodgers and Astros. Mm. So you think you think Houston's offense is going to be too much for uh, Cleveland's pitching?
0: I think you're going to see Houston not have to use as many starters. Um, You're going to see guys like Davinsky. You're going to see their bullpen actually be able to shine a little bit more than it has. I think people just have forgotten about Houston because they locked up the division so long ago. Um, And then it could be, it could be the time that everybody starts paying attention to Carlos Correa, George Springer, Jose Altuve, things like that. Um, And I just think that the Dodgers are, the Dodgers are still the best team. I mean,
2: do you think they're, do you think they're the best team for a short series, or are they the best team in that they have purely great talent, or were they just especially well built because they were so crazy good deep um, that they had such insane depth? They're not like they're built for one hundred sixty-two too. They
1: have an offense. I mean, the they Dodgers do, can score runs. They do, but it's not any. so. This idea that they were just getting by, even though they had serious flaws, is kind of.
0: I mean, the the insane. Dodgers are going to have Kershaw. Darvish, uh, Rich Hill, and then maybe I don't know somebody like Alex Wood or something for their for their uh, rotation. But the nice thing about the Dodgers is that that fourth the fourth guy can change, and then they still got one of the best closers in the planet, Kenley Jansen, and then they've got they've got an offense that can that can produce with some actual stars. So I think the biggest thing that you see with somebody like the Dodgers is and. I don't want to psychologize too much from the side, but like, it's very difficult to keep up an intensity when you have basically wrapped up your division in August. Sure. And like the end of July, I think they were already planning for the postseason. So like, it's, it's very difficult to tell collectively everybody on your team that they need to care for that long. I mean, the Astros kind of had that, that little bit too. Um, But I think that the Dodgers still are the class just because If Scherzer was for sure going to be good to go and I didn't have question marks about it and Harper was back and healthy and had a a few runs of games, I actually would want to pick the Nationals um, because I think I actually really like the Nationals a lot um, in terms of what they offer. I've got too many question marks about the the Cubs in terms of their rotation uh, to be able to... I mean, if Chris Arietta is going to be 2015 version... Uh, of Arietta, if Lester it can figure his stuff out if Lackey's not going to be terrible like there is just so many question marks where I didn't really care for their rotation in July much less in October but uh, their bullpen is so deep and good yeah I mean I, I don't I wouldn't necessarily take their bullpen over others I'd rather have the Indians bullpen I'd maybe even rather have the Yankees bullpen sure but uh, they're in the other league Oh yeah, I'd rather I have mean, their the, the, bullpen
2: than the Dodgers bullpen or the Nationals bullpen.
0: Well, the Nationals bullpen is kind of a an issue, but I would think that the Nationals kind of are overlooked in terms of their bullpen, uh, where Doolittle has actually been excellent, Madsen's very very good, and then they don't necessarily have to have the question mark. So who's coming into the ninth inning anymore? Are, um, hey,
1: are we overlooking Arizona at all? I mean, because you're automatically taking the Cubs, and Arizona is also a 92 win team.
0: They've got Francisco Rodney as their closer.
1: Hey, maybe he'll get hot for a playoff run.
0: That's great. I'm not betting on that.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, mean, it's I mean,
0: that can absolutely happen. I'm just saying I'm not betting on it.
1: The D-backs are a good
2: team. And it, would it would it shock me if they beat the Dodgers in the first round? No. Assuming the Dodgers beat the Rockies, which, I mean, who knows wait, how wait, that's going to go. Hold on,
1: hold on, hold on. Arizona I mean, and Colorado I mean. are going to play in the playoff game. Yeah. Right.
2: Arizona if Arizona beats we're assuming Arizona beats Colorado got which we okay. should do but then they're in the first round going to play the Dodgers so yeah you know, I think you sw- Cubs I think you sw- Nationals is the
0: other the series yeah I think so. you switch the names on yourself that's all I want to more than anything want the want the Twins to make it I was
1: going to say you you realize the Twins have 84 wins and the Brewers are sitting there in the NL with 86 yeah.
0: I want the twins to Once make. Once again, so the
2: Brewers are in the wrong damn league <laughs> the, and the yeah. wrong damn division. <laughs> like, ha- has been
1: their their history. Yeah, that's kind of the way it's gone. Um, I guess I'll go on the record. I I have a hard time picking against uh, the Dodgers. Yeah, I'd go the Dodgers, and I I actually think Cleveland's going to do it this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, if we're picking a team to win the World Series, I'm going to pick Cleveland. JP,
0: that's- no. I mean, I I get the appeal of Cleveland, but it, if I look at their offense straight up against the Dodgers, the Cubs, even maybe Boston, certainly the Astros, I wouldn't take Cleveland over any of them in terms right. of their offense. And but so their you, pitching you, you, is better than anybody's. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's anybody in either
1: league. They could pitch. Probably anybody. Did you guys hear this? Fran Konak can, you know, unleash a bullpen in the postseason. I I like Cleveland. Cleveland has the highest war of
2: any pitching staff of all time. I can't remember if it was
0: probably Fangraph's war. I would imagine so. It's probably based on, because of strikeouts, it's probably based on fielding independent pitching. Yeah. Sullivan's been talking about it lately. So Um, that's, yeah, it's,
2: it's I'm assuming it's it's Fangraph's. Yeah.
1: Okay, so going around, we have Cubs, uh, Chicago, and Cleveland for Ryan. Chicago and Cleveland. We yeah. have uh, L.A. and Houston, Houston for JP, and then I did L.A. and Cleveland. So we sure. got kind who, of a mix. You think,
0: so you think Cleveland's actually going to win it, though? I've, I've got, like, I've got Cleveland, so I'm the, Cleveland. I'm picking
1: Cleveland. I'm picking Cleveland. But it's it's a crapshoot. Like I'm not sitting here yeah. going like I'm I'm you know literally betting my house on this. Um, wow. Well.
0: Right, because you'd be a fool if anybody bet anything on the well, playoffs, right?
1: Exactly. But
0: like I, I, I. Because have, you know,
1: then again, here come the Twins. So right, they're getting I, they're getting Miguel Sano back.
0: I hope it's the Dodgers, so we finally get to not have to hear the whole narrative about the Dodgers not being able to be playoff ready. And I hope Yasiel Puig does something massive just to piss a bunch of people off. I I, I would, would be, be totally on board that. with Yasiel
1: Puig playoff hero. Yes, yes. I would be good. Like. The Dodgers winning. This is
2: a weird year. There's really only one team I'm rooting against in the playoffs. Why do you hate the Twins so much? Yeah, it's it's not the Twins. Um, why would you
0: why you pick them?
2: Because I think it's going to happen, and because he's it's, hedging it's, his bets. Because, yeah, because if it
0: happens, because if it happens, then you can say you foresaw it, and if it doesn't happen, you can enjoy it.
2: Yes, exactly. Well, at least nice. I can go. I can go. I'm preparing myself mentally for. Yeah for unhappiness that way okay so.
1: enough of that we got to wrap this thing up so um i think uh the coming weeks we'll talk more about like prospects who we want to give uh, prospect awards to and then i think a uh, little bit more oh and they're going to be creative too creative creative wow. prospect titles
0: i'm going to have at ad- the, the ryan's adam-
1: creative titles are actually creative titles the, we can do that
0: the adam heather award <laughs> i i <laughs>
1: i like the
2: chris smith award once i actually remembered who chris smith yeah. was
0: <laughs> and adam adam heather is going to be an award that goes to somebody who absolutely blows up the minors who was a no-name prospect coming into the year who everybody now wants to be good
1: i am
2: yeah who, who's going to be the brock kelgard award
0: oh well that's I, just can, the guy that that's, jp that's, has that's,
2: a strange obsession with that
0: <laughs> that's that's still just brock kelgard that's, I don't that's, brock i don't understand <laughs>
1: That's going to do it for the show this week. As always, follow us on Twitter at tailgate, and you could submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Again, Ryan manages that, and he does it poorly, so uh, force him to check the Facebook page for questions. I'll make sure that he gets those notifications. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And you can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. And as always, thank you for listening. And look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.